Well, welcome back, everyone, to Out of the Main. I'm really happy to be back, John. I know you're happy to be back. I am. Did you hit record? Yes. Okay, good. Well, hold on. Let me check. But make sure all the the proper tracks are enabled. We don't want to erase anything. What does this mean? Delete? Bulk delete. Do I hit that? (laughs) Uh, No. Yeah, no. Okay, so we're sort of giving away the farm here, right? um, because we're about to find out if our guest is happy to be back. We had him on before. Uh, (laughs) There's good reason to bring him back again. So please welcome everybody back to the podcast, Mr. Bill Schnee. Bill, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a a very interesting occasion for um, why you're returning to the podcast, at least from our perspective, because a few weeks ago, John, we had on none other than Simpsy Nichols, who was the person who found the lost grail. I mean, the lost tape. um, (laughs) The most important cassette on the planet, as the Guardian in UK said. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the long lost second arrangement. And we heard all about, you know, the lore firsthand or secondhand through, you know, Roger's daughter. Um, and then out of the blue, John, we find out that there, I don't know if you call this the third arrangement or the second, second arrangement, but there's been a new release that, Bill, you were involved with quite intimately. Okay, so we know the story. The, the uh, song got erased and uh, Donald just turned around and walked out later in an interview said it was the worst day of his recording career and uh because he really liked the song and uh i mean i think it's great i think it's you know it would have been a single for sure i think and it just it's really great uh they tried to re-record it didn't get it so they thought as well as the first one but we've all been there there's been that mix that got away or the rough mix that somebody had that got erased but rough mix was better and all that so but it they tried, they didn't succeed. So in comes a local musician here in Nashville, a really good keyboard player named Scott Sheriff. And he has a band called 12 Against Nature that's a steely cover band. And they had worked up that song. And so he decided to get some of his buddies and put it together uh, just for fun. And uh, <clears throat> so that's what he did. And in the modern era, no two people were in the room at the same time. Uh, and uh, and they, he to, to really give it a note of authenticity, he asked Michael O'Mardian to play the acoustic piano. Scott played the Rhodes kind of sound, and he asked Michael to play the acoustic. And uh, after he finished, he asked Michael, do you think Bill would mix it? And Michael said, I don't know. Here's his number. Give him a call. So Scott called me and told me what he had going. And I said, well, sure, let me hear it. And he sent it over, his rough mix over. And I listened to it and I went, boy, it came out great, didn't it? Yeah, send it over. So I done mixed it and uh, uh, came out pretty good, I think. And um, he uh, told me that they were going to now do a video with, uh, you know, the embedded squares, kind of like where we are right now. with uh, with the, the guys obviously now miming their parts, pretending to play and sing again, the whole thing. And that's that's what they did. And so to, to get me in, in the video, he uh, actually, uh, John Hammond, the drummer, called and said that he was going to do Michael O'Mardian's mime at Michael's studio. And would I come over and mime the mix? So I said, sure, went over, and that's what we did. and. Uh, you know, about a, 10 days later, they sent me the video with the with the mix in it, and I, I thought it came out great. So uh, about four days later, I get a call from a guy that I only met online who read my book and blah, blah. And he said, um, there was an interview yesterday with Donald Fagan, and he said some nice things about you, so I've included a link to the interview. I said, okay, great. I watched the interview, and it was done by a guy that I know who has asked me to be interviewed, and I told him yes, but he he still hasn't called me. And uh, it's going along, and the interviewer mentions Bill Schnee, and Donald says, oh, how is Bill? And he said, he's doing good. And then Donald said, Bill was the best recording engineer we ever used, which literally brought tears to my eye. And then, and then then why didn't you ever hire me after Asia? I'm just curious. We have Nightfly, we have Solos, we have Gaucho, never again. But I was the best. 
as he leans into the camera to say that. But ironically, you got a Grammy for Gaucho, which you weren't part of the Gaucho sessions, yet now here you are mixing the long-lost second arrangement (laughs) track that was buried from Gaucho, which is funny to me. But I want to quickly go back and set the stage. So Scott Sheriff is a Nashville musician, and he did an interview which, as of this recording, would have been yesterday on Inside Music Cast with Rick Such and Eddie uh, Cabello. And he kind of gives the side of it from his perspective. Now, his band had been playing this song actually for 10 years in his very in his Steely Dan cover band. So he had this recorded and done before all this mania began. And then the cassette comes out, as you said, Tom, and all the mania begins. And uh, I would... Encourage everyone to listen to that interview, number one, to get that perspective. And then, you know, I want to move forward here with Bill. But if Bill, if you could, for our audience, just reset your historical connection to Steely Dan. What stuff did you work on? And how, oh, how I are think you we connect- just heard. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm just but, kidding. but Asia also, right? So what? Where, where was your association with the band? So people that uh, maybe don't know. All I did, my only involvement with them was recording the tracks for the, the album Asia. And I got a Grammy on uh, Gaucho because ostensibly after this song was a rate, that album was a, had a tough time being made. There were a lot of problems making uh, the Gaucho album, uh, a lot of them personal. Um, and when, um, uh, when the, the song got erased and they couldn't get it back again, uh, they decided to go and pull out another track that I recorded with Steve Gadd on the Asia sessions a few years earlier. And they, he actually redid the lyrics completely, and that's what became Third World Man. And um, uh, and the, the the cute story to me is when we were when we were going up to collect the Grammy I, as we're walking, I said to Elliot Shiner, "Do you mind if I talk first? And he said, "No, go ahead." So I got up to the mic and I said, "Guys, it's kind of silly. I'm really just along for the ride." And Elliot popped in and said, are you kidding? If we didn't have that song, we'd still be making that record. Yeah. <laughs> and he's probably right. So that's 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 my involvement. And so, uh, and then John jokingly said, it all comes full circle because the whole reason that song is on the record is because, of course, Second Arrangement is off the record. Right. So um, going back to now, you get brought in to mix this. This is probably a question, John, you were going to ask, so I'm going to steal it. Um I'm curious what your approach was going to be going in. Like, were you going to try to replicate the Steely Dan sound as you were accustomed to it? Were you sort of taking Scott's sort of direction as the producer, or were you trying to reimagine on what this song should sound like in 2023? What was your process? Uh, Though there was no direction given, it was just here. Can you mix this please? And, (laughs) and as it started, you know, uh, you, you are, as a mixer, you are limited greatly by how things are recorded. And I'm not yeah. complaining about how things are recorded. In fact, uh, John Hammond, uh, who did the drums in his house, uh, did a did an excellent job. Um, I did, however, I did, however, use some samples on the kick and snare. And, and that well, was kind of like Wendell. So that fits. And that was exactly to try to get it sounding a little more like uh, the steely dan from that okay. era kind cool. of thing yeah but anyway um i've been rudely interrupted uh by one of you there's a flag on play personal foul unsportsmanlike conduct that'll be a 15-yard penalty and that is the first of the game for the play <laughs> uh, uh that was john uh, okay good so i uh i um when uh, Donald said that to me, uh, I went, okay, he's got to hear it. He's got to hear it. So I called, um, I got his, his number. Well, actually I got his email, uh, and I sent him an email and I said, you know, I know you've been told that I moved to Nashville five years ago and it's been a great move for me. Uh, and I'm very impressed with the musicianship here. And I don't just mean country players, Uh, a bunch of them got together and did the second arrangement. Uh, I'm going to send it to you, and I hope it doesn't bring back too many bad memories. And I use a transfer service that I can tell when it's downloaded, when the file I send them is downloaded. 
So he downloaded it fairly quickly. And I'm waiting, patiently waiting for an email back, but didn't come right away. So three or four hours later, I'm watching a movie. And in the middle of the movie, uh, I freaked because of what, uh, because wait a minute, there's no license for this song. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't, I, yeah, there's no license. So I, I pick up my phone, I email him again, and I say just that. Uh, it occurs to me they can't do anything with it because you never released it. And then he emailed me immediately and he said, it's great to hear from you. The song sounds good, whoever it is, go ahead and release it. Brilliant. So I called uh, Scott and a couple of the other guys that were involved and, and told him, there you go. Um, from there, there's a matter of several, quite a few months that I don't know what happened. And uh, I'm not very happy about it, but whatever. And nothing is happening. And I keep, you know, I called one of the guys and say, do you know what's happening? And everyone was like, no, uh, but I don't know. In any event, they finally, uh, Scott called me and said, uh, now, do you want to call Donald and ask, I mean, the publisher? And I said, no, I'm, I'm staying back out of this, you know, because they had talk of somebody was going to getting involved that was going to call Donald and see if he would sing it. And I went, no, no, guys, that he's not going to sing it. It's ridiculous. Um, and there's a taste of why I was a little upset about what was going on during those months. And so... Uh, I said, what you can say is what, is what happened. I text, uh, I emailed Donald. I emailed him the song. He said, it sounds good. Go ahead and release it. That's what you can tell him. So uh, I didn't hear anything for about a week. And then I got an email from Irving Azoff saying, Bill, what's your cell? I'm going to call you. And in case you don't know, Irving Azoff is undoubtedly still his manager. And uh, I went, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, he didn't call, actually, but the next day his secretary wrote me and said, mm, no, <laughs> no license. Wow. Now, what happened? I don't know. I don't know. I, have a, I can say one thing. I, it, I'm only putting this out there because it comes to mind that two things. One, I don't know what it was, but Roger and the band had a huge falling out. Huge, while Roger was alive. I don't know what it was. Do you guys have any idea? Have you I don't. He, Roger Nichols, he's talking about. Roger Friday. Nichols, the long, yet, long right. time engineer. Yeah. And from what I hear, it, it, it ended very badly. Nobody came to his hmm. funeral. I mean, it, it was not good, whatever happened. So there's that. So remember, that's what's in Donald's head. And yeah. then something that Steely Dan fans have been thrilled about, but was Donald, that the family found that dat. It wasn't even a cassette. It's a dat uh, of the song and put it out there. Now, this is, this is a guy as part of that band that, as you well know, as everyone well knows, was... I think it's fair to say could be maniacal in getting yeah. Yeah. In getting sure. close to what they called perfection. And right. here is a record of theirs that isn't finished. And not perfect, mm. right? And it's certainly not mixed. Right. And those two things, maybe he just got pissed as hell. And I don't know what to say. I could be wrong, but all I know is... Uh, and I understand, uh, I actually did an interview this afternoon with somebody that said that it's it's been pulled. Uh, the All of the Steely Dan ones have been pulled. Have you checked it lately on YouTube? I listened to it on Facebook today. I don't know if that was a YouTube. Well, yeah, the one that you did is still there, but yeah. maybe some of those other demos uh, that were the roughs that were out there. No, no, I'm talking about demos. the ones that the family released. Oh, I don't know. I haven't checked recently. I yeah. haven't checked I that. Don't know. No. Okay. I don't know. But if that's the case, then I think that gives a lot of credence to my theory. Yeah. If he's if he has forced them to, you know, to release it, uh, to pull them down. Wow, this is this wow, is, legend continues. This is news <laughs> to us. It's got it's kind of throwing me backwards. Wow. The good news, I think, is that 
I, I think the, the version that Scott and the boys did is really, really good. And I think uh, it's excellent. Yeah, I, I, I think, dare I say, better than the Steely Dan or where it was, very unfair to say. If you didn't hear the vocal, you'd almost be fooled. You know, certainly when the band kicks in, you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, it yeah, sounds I mean, like the real but thing. Comparing the two, uh, and of course, now I'm married to the, to the new one yeah. because I spent, you know, f- quite a few hours listening to it. But uh, it, it is a great version of a great song. Can I ask you a question about the new one in terms of... Um, when we had you on before, I kind of framed you as one of the few people that I know of that was equally successful as a tracking engineer, a mixing engineer, and a producer. There aren't many that have worn all three hats successfully, and especially even to Grammy level. So you've done all these things. You're not involved in the the tracking part of this, obviously, but now you're mixing. Were there any production things that you put forth, such as in the mix, in terms of taking something to a much lower level than maybe what they thought it ought to be? Did, did you have any musical discussions aside from the technical aspects of making the tracks all work together? Did the producer hat come out at all? Um, well, I, again, it was left to me to, to mix it. And I never heard, no, the, the, you know, I talked to Scott when before he sent it to me, the, the multi-tracks to me, and I talked to him after he heard the mix and loved it. So it was all what I wanted to do. The drummer, however did uh because i did um he had two things he wanted which i implemented he had grace notes in the in the on the snare he had some grace notes and once i put the sample on top of it it diminished the grace notes so he did an extra uh grace note track which i also put a sample on to match the (laughs) well i had to to match it so it's the same snare drum it's funny though right it's the same (laughs) snare drum which I also put uh, a sam- the same sample on, I think, and and put that in, and uh, and we went back and forth a little bit on that about getting it right, uh, and then when it was all said and done, he <laughs> the only other note I was given was to turn up the tambourine a teeny bit, which I did. <laughs> Not more cowbell, but more tambourine. Were you a drummer first? Was that your first instrument? No, no, it's it's my uh, pro- well, my second instrument. I, you know, I'm I'm not a half bad drummer. I just rush like crazy. Uh, no, keyboard is my main instrument. Okay, all right. But I love drums, and I you know I think they're the backbone of pop, rock, and R and B, and you know. I'm a huge fan of drummers and all that. So and tambourines now, <laughs> drummers and their tambourines. Yes. Yeah. Did you at all reference any of the demos or anything that you had heard? Just for no, no? it came in and uh, uh, you know it it felt great, and I just just threw it together. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. My initial reaction when I heard that this was being done, because you know, after speaking with SimC, we learned that all of you know, there's a, all over the internet. There's people extracting the tracks, remixing it, adding horn lines, and I couldn't bring myself to listen to any of those because I just didn't want to. I didn't want to hear the song "quote unquote" ruined. And so then I hear this is coming out. Now this isn't that. This is people re- actually re-recording. But I was still skeptical, and I swear within a measure or two, I was hooked. My this sounds perfect. It sounds perfect. I was blown away. Yeah, I am too. Still, I love listening to it. 
What I was going to ask was it was it a real analog approach you did here? I mean, because we talked before and you explained because I asked about the different ways of doing a mix and you talked about how a mix to you is somewhat of a performance. You like the idea of having working on it as a flow from beginning to end, as opposed to in today's modern age where you can get in with the cursor and the pencil and draw automation and fine tune stuff. Did you take more of a approach like you would have done back in 1980 or how did you approach just trying to get to where you knew you wanted to go well um you know back back in the day back in the 70s um I, yeah i mixed for a performance i mixed the song from beginning to end i had a static balance that felt good to me little uh, tapes on the board and would mark where that was and that was the starting point and then I would just you know go through it several times seeing what worked what didn't work and when I was ready I would hit record on the two track and there it would go from start to, to finish once in a while I might stop in the middle and do a pickup or something but for the most part it was start to finish when we started having, uh, I'll always remember when we when we started with moving fader automation. That's where the you would move the faders. It went into a computer, move, move the faders where you wanted them, and then on the next playback, the computer would move the faders the way you had just done, and you could. Was that about mid eighties or so? Mid eighties. When did that start to really happen in studios? Well, it actually came out. In, uh, the first version that Neve had was very clunky. I couldn't stand it, but it, it came out in the late seventies. But uh, early 80s, George Massenberg did a really great job uh, with it. And that's what I put in my studio. And when that, I, I had to learn to let the computer help me because I wanted to do it myself. And it, it was a psychological thing. But once I got over that, then it was like, oh, no, this is really good. Because, uh, George, again, George's system was very, very accurate. The Neve system wasn't that accurate. And... Uh, so uh, once I saw that it really could help me, okay, now I now I get it. And that was very helpful during those whatever years, 15 years or so, until we came started working in uh, DAWs, working with a computer in a computer, because uh, now uh, now there I am, and I can <laughs> I can get in the weeds with the best of them. Almost, mm -hmm. almost too much sometimes. Too much. Yeah. I have to, I have to watch myself on that. It's so tempting, isn't it? Yeah, it's very tempting. You know, and so much, as you all know, so much of my performance is based on how, on what I'm getting out of it. You know, I mean, uh, if I'm turned on, it's, it, you know, it's just there's nothing like it. You know, I can't wait. You know, like, in the old days, I couldn't. I, if I'm mixing something I really loved, I couldn't wait. It took forever to rewind four minutes of tape. Listen to like, <laughs> now, you know, it's I don't have to wait to rewind. When the song's over, push play, it starts again and, and all that. But when you're into it, it's just like, you know, the just motivation is there. And the, it's like your adrenaline goes and you just, just, you know, oh, let's try this. Then, oh, what about that? Oh, that could be better. That kind of thing. Well, you mentioned the book a couple times, and that was the first time we came on. So... Chairman at the board. So that oh, was the, the last board. time we hit uh, at the board. Is it? Chairman at the board. I even read it, but I skipped <laughs> so, the cover because I didn't care what was on the cover. I wanted to get inside. And you're somebody sitting in front of a mixing board, so you should know that it was at the board. So I know. All right. um, that was a great read. Highly recommended. Are you still um, you still out there uh, talking to people about that book? And is that still uh, moving and flying off the shelf? I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so where can people find Chairman at the Board? Uh, yeah, it used to be in all bookstores. I don't know how the, the life of it goes, but it's still on Amazon for sure. Fantastic read. Whether you're uh, like a music student or not, what I loved so much about the book is you break it down for knuckleheads like me right. who might not even know. What, what do you mean, right? Just, he's agreeing with knucklehead just go on you're right <laughs> who don't know the difference between a producer a mixer somebody who masters etc you tackle that right at the beginning and then you get in all these wonderful anecdotes it's funny it's informative it's nostalgic it's a great read and and as i always say i did uh you know i i worked with michael jackson a couple of times that's one of my favorite chapters and uh, i did a live album with him in 1981 and i was on the bus with the boys i bet you want to read the book now <laughs> I'll tell you what, you know what, I'll, I'll tell people why they want to read the book and they can either go back to our previous episodes with Bill or read the book or be better yet, both. 
where, uh, well, a couple little things. Well, you learn the secret behind the sax part on JoJo. You learn about his work with Ringo and how he got busted calling Barbara Streisand Babs. That's all I'll say. (laughs) But she liked it. Yeah. But she liked it. Absolutely. Yeah. But she liked it. Because the mix was good. So are you working on any other cool projects that we should know about, whether it's, you know, back Uh, in the day or current artists? Yes. Uh, Um. When I say motivation, like like I had for a second arrangement, there's an album that I'm I, uh, I think I'm finished with it. Um, I don't, and I'm trying desperately to find a home for it. It's, it's some guys here in Nashville. It's an old, I think my favorite overall, my favorite genre. Uh, I like all music, and I've been very blessed to have success in every genre. But my favorite, I think, is old school R and B, and. Uh, this is an old school R&B album. I'll tell you how old school it is. The artist just turned 83. And I hate <laughs> saying that because someone immediately, you've got an idea about what this guy sounds like. And that idea ain't right. It's a really good record. He he, he's, uh, he was born in Nashville and he, he left in 1960 to find fame and fortune in New York. And uh, he backed a lot of top um, open for a lot of top uh, uh, R&B artists at the time. And he did a stint in Europe and this and that, but he's back in Nashville now. And it's, a oddly enough, a, a, a white organ player that's really good here in town that has, uh, is in his band that started playing with him several, quite a few years ago and decided to make a record. And this organist, his name is Charles Tread- Treadway, he, um, he wrote most of the songs and he's never produced anything. And I'm telling you, it's as good a record, absolutely as good a record as Second Arrangement. Uh, Ooh. It's real. Wow. It's slamming, I'm telling you. Everyone I play it for loves it. tried a couple of record companies it's just it's a tough tough road at 83 years old because how much promotion is he going to be yeah. able to give it and how's the tour going to go right yeah exactly yeah. i uh actually prepped for this interview listening to worlds away from pablo cruz which is one of my favorites from years but we i went out last time we talked immediately and bought the mandy uh barnett album which was so good i remember you saying she's one of the best voices you ever put in front of a mic absolutely man that was a good record yeah yeah absolutely well that, that's a good segue to i think my last question um and we could get more of this i think if you read the book chairman at the board but uh give us an interesting anecdote i know there's got to be tons of them from the asia sessions because we hear all this folklore from the cats that come in there and they're you know recording the song over and over and over again next day same different band same songs what was it like working on that record nothing like that that was my really? fear that was my fear because i i had talked a couple of my friends michael Mardian and uh jeff picaro had played on previous records and told me about you know playing and michael playing until his hands felt like nubs you know and and whatnot um but that's what and that was my fear because I'm not the most patient person in the world. Mm-hmm. We can bring my wife in who will corroborate that in <laughs> very short order. But uh, no, it was very, very different. 
it, it, number one, it was all studio musicians. That was the first time it was all studio musicians. Uh, I think Walter played overdubbed something later on, but the, the tracks were all studio musicians. And it was it was very organized. It was we started at two and when and we never went super late into the evening. And um, uh, it was a no drug zone. And, I, and again, I don't know what happened in, in the eight months or so of overdubs that went on after I cut the tracks that I cut. But it, uh, yeah, it was just the most uh, perfected, you know, studio sessions imaginable. And, and I, I was uh, thinking the other day that the other thing that I thought was going to happen didn't. I thought, you know, with the revolving door, as Gary Katz put it when he called me to do the album, the revolving door of drummers, I thought, you know, well, they got a, a song they really like and they'll try it with this guy and then they'll try it with that guy. And and I don't remember uh, maybe one uh, song that they tried a second time. Uh, but and I wonder if it was Peg, because the track that I cut of Peg is not is not I didn't cut that track. That was recut mm. later. Um, they they had so to, to to get a different what what they were after on it. I thought the first one was good, but anyway, uh, so th that's the the one thing that's the most amazing to me uh, about that. It was and it was unique in that regard. I, why unique? Because the next record, again, that they didn't call me the best engineer they ever worked with to do that album. <laughs> but you got a Grammy, nonetheless. Yeah, I, you're right. I got the Grammy and I didn't have to work. Ah, what a, that's yeah. perfect. I would rather have done the work, I, I think. Absolutely. I don't, well, maybe not, because as I'm about to say, it, that was very different. Uh, this, one story from that is that Jeff Vaccaro had went to New York to work on Gaucho, came back, popped in my studio one day, and, and I said, how'd it go? And he said, oh, it was grueling. I said, really? He said, yeah, they had me cut the song three times with three different rhythm sections. And all they wanted, they thought that I might play differently with different rhythm sections. And all they were after was my drum track. So he played it three different times with three different bass and, uh, and guitar and piano, I guess. Uh, I don't know if it was completely different or what. And all they were after was the drum track. They were after that perfection in drums, which, as we all know, led to Roger creating Wendell. Yeah. Well, because they did 97 edits on that take, too, supposedly. On which? I, on uh, Jeff's drum track for Gaucho, the song Gaucho, oh. that's what you're talking about. Supposedly, they had 97 cuts in that, according to, I guess, Roger, probably. But, uh, well, there you so, go. That's uh, that. Yeah, strange. <laughs> so you enjoyed that pursuit of perfection, right? In that, it sounds like they, it was a very well-oiled machine. And you liked working in that environment. It wasn't overkill for you? Again, on, on Asia, the tracks, it wasn't that at all. It was just as, you know, I mean, we had Steve Gadd for two days. We cut four tracks in two days. And actually, you know, I think I told the story, didn't I, uh, about... Yes. Yeah, before. Yeah. about uh, We cut four tracks and Leo Sayers' uh, You Make Me Feel Like Dancing and his third single. We cut we cut two chart records in the morning from, from 10 to 1, 10 to 105. And then that afternoon, we cut the song Asia and another song. And Richard Perry was the producer on Leo Sayers. Richard Sayer, Perry correct? was the producer yeah, on okay. that. But, you know, I mean... What what can I tell you? Search for perfection. I mean, it was it was not the the grinding, and no, I wouldn't have done well on that. I would have had to grin and bear it. But if, if it hadn't been that, but I couldn't have been happier. So my my question was then: If you were tracking, say during Asia, what would Roger Nichols' role have been at that point? Because he's also credited as an engineer, and I'm trying to figure out where it fits in. If he's got you know you and Elliot Shiner and people like that also involved in tracking. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you. He he wasn't there a great deal of the time. He showed up when he showed up. So it was something else, some other technical. Yeah, not, wizardry, yeah again, not not okay. while I was at producers' workshop doing the tracks. Uh, I imagine he, he, I I would assume he did a lot of the overdubs. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Okay. They're doing one instrument at a time. I don't know. Well, this is fascinating. Like John said earlier, I, I didn't expect to get so much more of the story that we didn't already know, but you managed to do that bill. So we thank you so much on this second yeah, arrangement. Wow. People got to go and check out this finished version because it's outstanding. Um, check out chairman at the board. Fantastic read. Well, thanks for being on bill. Great being with you again. Yeah. Yep. And we'll do it again sometime. Here's hoping. 
right. <laughs> Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, just when you think you know everything there is to know about this second arrangement dealio, the saga continues. The earth is moving under your feet, you know? I mean, it's like it's changing while we're talking about it. It's almost like, uh, you know, you want to tie a rope around your waist because you're going out walking and potentially into quicksand and you want to make sure you can get pulled back out. Yeah. Jeez. Bill, they brought the the heat and some some surprises yeah. along the way. Things I wasn't expecting to hear. Stumped us a couple times. I know. I felt I had to edit out some of those pieces because I was like, there was dead silence. Like, uh, now I don't know what to ask. <laughs> Everything's changed. But I did want to clarify one thing that uh, the reason... What we're talking about the license and why it differs from, say, doing a standard cover. When you're doing a, a cover song, the copyright law says that whoever writes the song gets rights to first publication or first use. Once mm-hmm. it's been released and it's out there, then anybody can cover it. The license is called a mechanical license because it's automatic. Copyright law says that you can cover it and there's certain fees that are attached to that, but it's not a negotiable thing between you and the artist. It's just, here's the cost, and it's an automatic license. Now, the reason this is different is because there was never an official release by Donald or Walter, you know, as Steely Dan. Correct. So, if the song is not out there has having been released by Steely Dan qualifying as first use, then you have to actually go to the artist and say, can I do this and be first use, almost like when a songwriter maybe submits a song to artists and then if an artist picks that song and wants to do it, then they just have to sign the release that says, well, I'm giving this artist first use. But since there is no first use, that's where it becomes murky. Yes, which reminds me, they talk about that in the Inside Music Cast um, interview with Scott Sheriff, who was the sort of the brains and the the producer behind this project they go into that a little bit so that's a reminder to go listen to that podcast once you're done with this podcast yeah the reason that's different is because even though there's a recorded version the youtube the way youtube lives in the copyright world as it pertains to music is everything up there is it's deemed if there's video to it it's deemed a performance as opposed to a published recording so you can't download it technically um so that that's why they're able to put it up on YouTube, but they're not able to say put it on Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Yep, yep, yep. So lots more to learn at Inside Music Cast. You know what their podcast doesn't have that ours does? Let me guess. Okay, uh, a funny bit at the end. No, oh, a lightning round. Oh, we're not there yet. Lightning round. Yes, hit it. All right. Well, well, wow. well. Who gets to go first on this one? Well, we said that this episode was chock full of surprises, so I think I should uh, bring in a relevant surprise okay. that uh, dips into the viewer mailbag. Ooh. Hit the sound effect for that, please. Mail's in. Yowza. All right. Uh-huh. So this is from listener Mike, not to be confused with our brother, listener Mike, mm. but listener Mike reaches out and says, hey, guys, your episode on the second arrangement, which he's referring to our interview with Simpson Nichols, right, which that had a whole bunch of other surprises. Yeah. Um, Reminded me of this song by Usher that samples, this is why it's relevant, samples Third World Man, the tune, right, that Bill worked on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it ended up on Caucho. So the surprise is, why is Usher sampling this of all Steely Dan songs? And the second surprise is, 
despite my own trepidation, it ended up being pretty darn good. Here's a tune you might not know called Missing You. So I had to give I had to give that a chance because right out of the gate I was like, uh, yeah. mm, eh. but there was an interesting way that they work that in not only just the main riff but then work it into the chorus. I thought it was pretty well done. Actually. Yeah, yeah, that's all I got to say. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> all right, well, what do you have? Then? Found uh, at sea, message, message in a bottle variant. So I Ooh. went to Facebook and posted the question to uh, people to name a guitar player that they think of who specializes in rhythm guitar, not somebody who is well-known as a lead guitarist, a feature guitarist, but somebody whose specialty is that of rhythm. And there was a whole lot of really great responses, but one particular that caught my eye, and that is from fellow uh, modern yacht artist Christian Gratz. And he is a um, an encyclopedia of 70s and 80s musical knowledge, I'll tell you. Is he now? Well, either that or he's constantly on Google looking stuff up because all of his comments is just he he just seems to know every album you put up there. So anyway, maybe he has a subscription to Wikipedia. <laughs> he's paying. <laughs> he's the one person that's paying. <laughs> yeah. uh, he had such a great one because this one is so buried that nobody knows this guy's name. Maybe maybe that his parents know his name, but that's about it. His name is Jerome Smith, and he is the guitar player for KC and the Sunshine Band. And as soon as I saw that, man, in my head, it just went ding, 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 because there are so many incredible, great rhythm guitar parts. Not Yachty, not even really disco. He's somewhere between Nile Rodgers and, gosh, who maybe maybe Paul Jackson Jr. I don't know. He's so inventive, but you could almost grab any song from their catalog and just check out the rhythm guitar and uh, be blown away but i'm going to hit this one from the second album it's called let it go part 1 Come on. thing yeah and they use this technique too on as, as an aside where they would um play the tape back at half speed and record like some lead guitar parts on it and of course then when you play it back it's at double speed and it's super high uh <laughs> you, they do it all the time you probably have heard it and maybe not realized it was guitar so check out the intro here of get down tonight <laughs> How do you like that? I always assumed that was some sort of synth or key. Yeah, some sort of keyboard. Almost sounds like a high, like a harpsichord, almost in a way. Yeah, right. Or a sample, a bad early on synth sample of the harpsichord. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the buried treasure area. Okay. All right. What do you got? Uh, I told you during the um, recording or when we sat with Bill that um, I had, while I was prepping, listened to Pablo Cruz "Worlds Away" album, and which is one of his. Um, great pieces of work. I think he engineered and produced it. I know he produced, I imagine he engineered it as well, but this is definitely a Margaritaville radio style track, much more on the uh, island beach music, but it still deserves some notice. It is Pablo Cruz, who are yacht certified. And um, I'm actually going to play the guitar solo of this song, but uh, this is Sailing to Paradise, Pablo Cruz. Yeah. 
Yes. Um, it reminds me, we need to um, come up with a sound effect for Trojan Seahorse. Uh, they don't really make a sound, so. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so yeah. Trojan Seahorse, uh, uh, lyrical content there, but very nice tune. Yeah, and the solo, man, the way it ends is just so clever and like, what would you say, soft-souled, you know? I mean, it's, it's so subtly done. I love it. Yep. Well, real quick aside, we have to dip into the viewer mailbag. Oh, because listener Darren writes uh, just a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, he was reading an article called Letting Pablo Cruise Alone, which uh, you should check that out. If anyone's interested and can't find it, I have a link here I can send you. But somebody's harassing Pablo Cruise? <laughs> no, Cruise Alone, I think is the anyways. I don't understand. Uh, on a side note, did you know that uh, the co-founder Corey, how do you say his last name? Lirios? Lirios, I think. Leros and Michael McDonald both share the same birthday, Ooh, though a year apart. Wow. And I never knew this. Did you know that Michael McDonald was a contributing writer on You're Out to Lose? No. Yes. Wow. We're so breaking news like crazy today. F- full of surprises. Listener Darren, thank you for yeah. that. No, thank you for writing. Holy moly. All right. That was not my buried treasure, though. My buried treasure can be attributable to the um, Twitter handle Today in Yacht Rock who tuned tuned me on to a song that I never knew existed. So it was a buried treasure. You and I have brought up Eric Carmen a number of times on this podcast. Well, you have, um, I have. Yeah. yeah. In the context of does the ballad stuff even have yeah. any place in the discussion of Yacht Rock? The only reason I say it that way is because Eric Carmen's one of those guys that I could never connect to music, musically. It just Ooh. never did it for me. I don't know, but go ahead. You don't have hungry eyes. <laughs> I'm not, it's not a criticism. <laughs> it's just sometimes you connect. Sometimes you don't. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and we talked about that later 80s stuff, right. too, because we talked to the guys from um, the, the music uh, writing team uh, with the Yeah, from movie. Dirty Dancing, right. From Dirty Dancing, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Block that out. No kidding. Anyways, Eric Carmen has a certified jam, my friend. Huh? Yep. Which one? And uh, it's called Change of Heart. Ooh. I can still recall when we said that our love was So not only is that a buried treasure because I didn't know it existed, and it's you know he's finally on the boat with that number. What's the score on it though? Oh, fifty point two five, seventy point seven five. Wow, he must have been bribing somebody. But check out the personnel on this bad boy. Oh, here we go. David Page. This is on the album Change of Heart. So I'll point out which who was on this track. Uh, David Page. James Newton Howard did play synth on that tune. Okay. Burton Cummins was on piano. Uh, you've got Danny Korchmar. You've got Fred Tackett. You've got Mike Picaro. You've got Leland Sklar on bass. You've got Jeff Picaro on drums. Russ Kunkel on drums. Uh, Joe Picaro on percussion on that track. Nice. Paulino De Costa. Yep. Um, and on backup vocals on that number, Valerie Carter, Brenda Russell, and Samantha Sang. Mm, and as I'm digging into it here, as I'm looking behind the scenes, that uh, song was co-written by David Page. Yeah, so all of that bumps your 50.25 up to a 70.75, probably. Uh, I find it yachtier yeah, than you do, but that that's... That uh, that that's... question that does, does just having personnel make something get boosted or should it be judged on the sound? But the other side of that is perhaps those guys were talking more about the culture of making music then as opposed to the overall sound. So a song that maybe is close sound wise because it's made within that culture. So all of those personnel make it yachty, not necessarily by sound, but by association. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. And I, I do find a, some of the sound in there, but anyways, I do find some. Uh, that's why I said 50.25. <laughs> well, there's going to be a whole podcast coming out soon that will dispel all of these. Okay. Myths, so all right. you can tune into that anyways. Um, so now I'm off the map, correct? Right. Since so you were off topic, I'm off the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember the group Shalimar? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I would not have associated them with Yacht at all, although apparently they were an L.A. group. Um, I'm reminded or no, I didn't know this. Another surprise. Did you know Jody Watley was in Shalimar? You probably knew that. I did then. know that. Yeah. Okay. I did not know okay. that. Anyway, I, I was listening to a playlist called Obscure 80s Hits, and a tune of theirs came on. I'm like, hmm, that's not Yacht, but it's close enough to be off the map. And here from their 1982 record, Friends, is A Night to Remember. Get ready. 
Yeah, it's it's funky. I mean, the, the the big uh, like gated hand clappy thing on the snares, the two and fours takes it out of the yacht for sure. Yeah, yeah. But there's some nice horn work on there and stuff. Yeah. Another fun fact: James Ingram plays bass on that record. Not the whole song, not that song, but at some point on that record. I didn't know James Ingram played bass, so there's another new one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ed Green on drums, by the way, too. Oh, so. wow. Okay. Yep. All right. Off the map for me, this was a discovery uh, that my wife actually made. She saved this song and uh, gave it to me and said, You might, you guys might find this interesting. She was listening to her soul mix. So it's a, mm. you know, a, a personalized playlist on Spotify. So she's getting a mix of soul as well as it's being shaped by her own listening habits. But anyway, up came a song by somebody called Octave Listener. Now, I don't know whether that's a real name or a fake name. <laughs> He's French. <laughs> And uh, this is from 2022. Uh, let me just play a little bit of it, and um, we can come back and discuss. This is called Palace Hotel. Harkening some 80s, almost synth-wavy stuff. You got the DX7 bass, and then there's also some slap bass, which I'm not entirely sure whether it's real, but it's kind of mixing a little bit of the yacht with the 80s with the synth-wave retake on the 80s there. It's kind of interesting. Yes, I, I may have to become an active listener of Octave Listener. Oh, very good. Very funny. You, you did see what I did there, correct? Yes. Yeah, some oh. of this stuff is very different. Uh, some of his earlier stuff was a lot more acoustic, almost like Coldplay meets Blue-Eyed Soul. It's, you know, organic mm. instrumentation, things like that, kind of moody, but nice. Yeah. genre He's genre fluid. Right. There, I, I did another thing there. Mm. Did you see it? Anyways, yeah, but that tune is good. That's a great track. Good find, uh, listener Paula. So there you go. An episode chock full of surprises. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, here's something surprising. What? Ahoy polloi. 